Welcome to the podcast that's designed to fuel your success in selling technology solutions. I'm your host, Josh Lopresto, SVP of Sales Engineering at Tolaris, and this is Next Level Biz Tech. Everybody, welcome to a special episode as we wrap up getting closer to episode 100 here. Today, as you can see, joined in the studio with Mr. Adam Edwards, CEO of Tolaris. Adam, thanks for coming up here, man. Thanks for having me, Josh. Uh, Adam, I know that, uh, and everybody else knows, CEO of Tolaris for a long time, but tell us a little bit about, I'd love to hear everybody's journey. What led to that? How did, how did Tolaris come to start and kind of what did you do right before that? You bet. I, you know, our uh, our origin story, I think, is different than most. Uh, pa Patrick and I formed the company together. We had no background in telecom. In fact, I had even less background than he did. I, I came up in accounting. I just wanted a job. You know, when it came time to choose a major, I looked around, actually asked an uncle, uh, look, e econ economics looks really good because it's the shortest major in business. Uh, and I'm also looking at accounting because a lot of those people get hired. He said, look, we hire six accountants for every one economist. And so that was my choice. That uh, was my, my big epiphany of why I should be in accounting. And uh, it was after years in accounting, after uh, a couple of years in accounting, that Patrick came to me and said, hey, we should start a business. And uh, I, I said, well, what are we going to do? You design chips. You're an electrical engineer. I'm an accountant. Uh, you know, what in the world are we going to do? And finally, he came up with the answer. Uh, it was telecom, and my response to him was, absolutely not. I don't know anything about telecom. Uh, you're in an MLM, and I'm not a fan of being in an MLM, and uh, uh, good luck with that. And he came back and said, no, no, actually, um, there is an opportunity to sell to enterprises, residual commission, and that's where he had me, residual commission. That's why I got a hold of it. Didn't care what we were selling. It was going to pay on a recurring basis. So that's why I left accounting and started a business. Uh, not that, uh, you know, I didn't want to, I, I had always wanted to start a business, just didn't know what it would be, but I thought I was headed down the CFO track. That's where I thought my career would end up. And here we are. Love it. Love it. I know you love a spreadsheet. Uh, okay. So, so this session is a little different. These, these three tracks are a little different. You know, usually we talk about somebody from Tolaris, we talk about a supplier and then we talk about a partner. I want to do these last couple sessions different. I want to help our partners out there that are out there building business, that are entrepreneurs also, what are the lessons? What are the things that we've learned? What can they learn from you to help continue to grow their practice? So I'm gonna to start to go down some of these things about leadership and challenges and innovation and things like that. And, and I wanna kick it off with uh, leadership. So let's talk to about the, the core principles that, that guide your leadership style and then how have they influenced the company here at Tolaris? You know, it's interesting. We went back years ago. We studied leadership as an organization because we were trying to develop leaders internally. And uh, I've still got a slide on it. The, the, the number of qualities that different leaders have, and they're all over the place. You know, some, there's the top five qualities of a great leader, the top 23, you know, Maxwell's got his and Drucker's got his, and they're just all over the place. And you also find um, real differences in eras. You know, there used to be people, Chainsaw Al. Al Dunlap was absolutely brutal in terms of downsizing. And, and Jack Welch was just a blistering attack, you know, in the boardroom or, or it, with executives. Uh, and, um, you know, and then you hear Steve Jobs, you know, and how, he, how, how aggressive he was. But then you hear about the, the good ones, you know, about Schultz at, at, uh, at um, Starbucks. And, and what it comes down to, with the, the lens through which I look at each of these leadership dynamics is really culture. Uh, I'm a big proponent of cultural alignment, meaning the culture that the customer wants to experience, whatever they want to experience, that better be the culture of your company. 
So everyone has this ideal of, hey, a good culture looks like this. I think the right culture looks like this. And a right culture is different for different companies. An example, you know, BMW uh, tends to value engineering. And so when they pay bonuses, the bonus is going to go to the best engineer, the most talented. It's They're not building a car, they're building the ultimate driving machine. So that culture is coming all the way from leadership through the, uh, you know, the staff all the way to the customer and the product that they deliver, which is the ultimate driving machine. Whereas you look at Starbucks, it's a very different cultural experience. I mean, you give them a bonus and they're going to share it in their team. They're going to buy something together as a team. And uh, that's what they're looking for at Starbucks is that's an experience. It's a it's a place to stop between work and home. It's a break and you're part of the community and you get your recycled cup, you know, and you're doing good. That's a very different culture. And so the culture inside Starbucks should be and is very different than it is at BMW. And when you look at the culture of Tolaris, I think that leadership needs to align with what the customer wants. And what does our customer want? Well, they want someone to uh, advocate for them, someone to fight for them. They want someone to be uh, straight up, honest, and transparent with them. They want someone who's looking out for their best interest. And so that's got to be our culture internally. We've got to be looking for their success. And so that, that I think, has, has instructed a lot of uh, the way that I think leaders should behave within our organization. Is It's really dictated by the culture, and that then is dictated by our, our customer. Love it. Love it. Uh, be empathetic. Understand what the customers want. And I think it permeates all the way through. Great stuff. Uh, let's talk about challenges. Uh, talk about a major challenge that our companies faced, how you navigated it, kind of, you know, what the process was going through it. Um, oh boy, you know, there, there's always challenges. What's funny is when you look in hindsight, they all look like speed bumps. But when you come up on the other side of a challenge and face a challenge, it looks like, um, you know, th this could be the end. And, you know, those challenges at the beginning are, are we going to make payroll? You know, are we, by the way, we're not having those challenges right now. Okay. Everything's good. Everything's this good. Is, this is when I used to run down to the bank and try to deposit the checks faster yeah. than, uh, than uh, payroll came up. Um, I'll tell you, one of the most significant, I think, that, um, that we came up against as a company is, you know, looking out to the future. I don't think people saw the, the change that was going to take place, um, you know, when we saw it six, six plus years ago of this is a business of scale and you're going to scale or die. And what do you do about that? Well, we were already doing everything we could. We reinvested every dollar we had back into the business. It was not a lifestyle business. And th the question was, how, how do we get ahead of this? Because M&A is going to come and we're either going to be purchased or we're going to purchase. And of course, what we want is we want our great culture and the values we have and the vision we have to continue on. So we have to be the purchaser. So we went out and the, the way we approached that was number one, study it out. Number two, look at the players. And candidly, we came back really disappointed. Uh, when we looked at some different strategic opportunities, we looked at equity backers, we were really disappointed with what we found uh, and decided to wrap it up. We stopped and decided we'd revisit it later. The problem was that inevitability was continuing to march toward us and what we would do. So carrier sales was a big part of that. When we got together with carrier sales, I view that as a real catalyst toward getting us to where we are, you know, that depth of expertise that came in. And um, that was a very fortunate thing because we were on this path, but we were not, we were not getting the result we wanted. And ultimately we did. That, that propelled us forward. We ultimately did find an equity partner to help us with M&A, and here we are today. Love it. Uh, you know, I think it's interesting. You just look at the speed of which we want to operate and then the speed of which the market takes, right? And it, the, the, the buying cycle for customers. And it really is interesting when you zoom back of how early 
you have to start planning for things because how long some of these things take to develop, and then you've got to time it with when it's right, when it's when the market wants it, when the market will bear it. Yeah, it's funny. Everyone assumes things happen so quickly. They really don't. They're setting up a long time in advance, and you just got to be in tune with that. Somehow tune into, you know, what the trends are, what's taking place, and get ready for it and place bets. Yeah, yeah, fair point. All right, uh, let's talk about innovation. So I think we're in a space where whether you're using Moore's Law or whatever, we've talked about that a lot, where everything out there technology-wise is just innovating so fast and it's more or less gone in 18 months. It's obsolete. So how do you foster this culture of innovation? And then really, what do you feel the roles are that that plays for, for our just long-term success? You know, I'll, I'll tell you, my views on that have really changed. Um, we consider one of our, our cultural pillars to be innovation. And I think some of what we did early on really helped us get to where we are. But if I look back on uh, some of it, a, a lot of it was wasted. Um, a lot of it, we put together these groups we called idea groups. We said, hey guys, the company is faced with this challenge. Every month we do this. The company is faced with this challenge. And each of the groups would be together and we'd have one person from say marketing, one from engineering, one from support, one from sales. We wanted different groups together to get different backgrounds, get some diversity to think through the solution and would say, here's the problem, come back with your solution. Well, the, the truth is part of the value was we were just trying to break down walls within the culture and get people to talk together. Mm -hmm. The secondary outcome was we wanted great ideas to come forward. And we did, we got boatloads of ideas. What we found though is in getting those ideas, while we got a lot of ideas, part of the challenge is without further direction on how we implemented those, they didn't become scalable. And what that means is we got some little, you know, areas of innovation and got some cool things happening, but to really pull those things out in a business, you've got to be a little more directed. And innovation is hard. The bigger the company gets, the harder it is. In fact, there's an example, Samsung used to do this. In, uh, I used to live in Korea and, and it's, the society is very conformist. When someone had an idea in the large organization, they would actually pull them out physically remove them Whoa. from headquarters in Seoul and take them to a city down south where I used to live called Suwon. And they would help them and incubate and get people around them to help bring this idea to life. Because an organization, longer, the larger it gets, is looking for efficiencies. And so how, how do you balance those two? I mean, innovation is about breaking. You know, it's, it's about breaking process, about breaking the norms, whereas efficiency is how do we do the norms faster and, and, and cheaper? And so to have those two things, uh, now as an organization, when we look at innovation, we want those great ideas, but more important to me today is not the ideas, it's how do we execute on them? How do we put people around those great ideas to breathe life into them? And then how do we divorce ourselves from the past? Because we're so, we, we have so much conviction about things we're doing today, it's very hard to let go of those and embrace the new, and that takes a concerted effort. It's not just little groups of people coming up with ideas, it's the execution as an organization. You know, I don't think I understood scale, you know, five or seven years ago. I've, I've really, this has forced me to learn what it really takes to scale an organization, right? I envisioned a world where I was the only engineer. I, 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 I didn't see us ever needing more than that, right? We would just happily grow organically little by little. But just like you've talked about, some of these accelerators and, and, and some of these things that have created that, how do you help it, it, how do you help relate that to what partners are going to go through as they're building their business? Whether I'm a one-person shop, a solopreneur, or I have a desire to keep that size, or maybe I want to grow to be a, a giant company. How do you help these ultra, super sharp, ready to grow, ready to sell, to do anything it takes to grow a business? How do you 
help them understand scale and the importance of scale as they go? Well, you know, I, I think you make a good point with the first part of it is, is some, if they're a soloist, they may be just fine the way they are. You know, being a scaled business isn't for everybody. And that's one of the unique things about, I think, our community is we have so many successful people in so many different ways. I think what they've got to start with is what do they really want? Are they being purposeful about what they want? If they want to be a soloist, because I've talked to many partners like this, of, hey, I like this as a lifestyle. I only want 10 customers, 10 very large customers. I focus on them. It gives me what I want. Or other people are motivated by, hey, I want a team of just five to 10 people. You know, that way I feel like we're a family. I feel good about this. And there are other people that do want to scale and they want to grow much larger and they want to be acquisitive and they want to do different. Uh, so I think they've got to start with, you know, what they want. And if truly what they want is scale, then they can absolutely find it. And that's what, what, what I found. If they're, if they're going to be purposeful about it, then they'll find those answers. Because there are different answers for a soloist. You, you look at a soloist and some of the things they leverage. I mean, think about some of these soloists right now. Leveraging your team, walking into some of the biggest companies in the world going in there, pitching a project, creating a solution, having project management on top of it, they're a soloist. And they're bringing down these absolute Goliaths uh, yeah. in terms of opportunity. And, um, you know, I, I think that business model is just fine. In fact, we, we'd love to see more of those. But in terms of scale, I think it's a subset of partners that are, that are looking for that. And when they are looking for it, I think they will find it and would be happy to share our lessons. But I'd say the biggest thing I've learned about scale is um, – You've got to focus more on the more on the process and the program than you do the individual circuit because it's so easy. I mean, is your yeah. <clears throat> you kind of look back longingly at the days where you could jump in and roll up your sleeves and fix everything. Mm -hmm. You know, you feel more control and you feel goodness at the end of the day, like I really got something done. But now you've got to accomplish that through other people. So how do I set those people up to get it right every time? And it's just, just a different mode of thinking that you've gone through, yeah. you know, as, 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 as you've developed your team and grown it into the best engineering team in, in the world of, you know, here, here's these people that you're not on those calls anymore. You're not in those engagements, but you're watching them have a success because you've given them the tools and the process. And any of our partners can learn that. If the scale is really what they want, they can, they can learn that. But I think you would agree it's, um, it's a little uncomfortable at first. Totally is. Totally is. You, you, you feel guilty. Yeah, yeah. Of like, oh my gosh, I should be doing this. I shouldn't make this person do it. But it really does come into the hiring process is so important. Finding great people, protecting the culture, empowering people, and going, oh, wow, they, they, they crushed that. Oh, they're, they're really good. Okay, <laughs> let me empower you some more. This is awesome. Awesome. Um, I want to call back uh, a little more advice. So we had... Uh, uh, we had Paul Jarman on, mm -hmm. and and I said, you know, what's the what's the one piece of advice you could give out to partners? You've you've you know you've birthed some of this cloud contact center space. You've seen a lot of things come and go, and his advice was, you know, I I love partners get into something and they get super excited and they go sell this one thing, and then they go here and they do this and they do this and they do this. So his ask, you know, obviously towards contact center was, I just want to see them stay focused on this thing, right? Because <laughs> uh, they're entrepreneurs, they can do anything and they're, they're going to be successful at it inevitably. So what's your advice for partners that are out there trying to build a business? Is it something like that? Is it completely different? Maybe not as much about scale, but just about building the business. Well, first of all, I'd say anyone who's been in the business for two years, congratulations. I mean, you've beat the odds. The fact that you're here and still in business, most people don't. When we look at new partners who start up, uh, they don't make it. Everybody overestimates the revenue cycle and they underestimate the cost. And as a result, you know, the, the, the industry is littered with people who tried and failed. 
to build these businesses. And I think it's easy for people to look from the sidelines and say, I could have done that. I, I, I could have. Could you? Because we have a lot of examples of people who didn't. So first of all, congratulations to those people. The second thing I would say is to be deliberate. To just be deliberate. Um, I, I did used to think that you should get very specific and very deep in a single technology. Um, I don't believe that anymore. I do believe in the generalist. Uh, by the way, I think both of those work. I think there is so much opportunity that both of those work for different elements. But I would say be deliberate. Pick a path and be deliberate. In fact, this is a great time of year, end of year. If, if, if you're going to implement one thing in your business, uh, as a result of this podcast, I would say start an annual plan. Start an annual plan at the end of the year that says, hey, by next year, I will be doing this. And I will be selling in these cat, and I'm going to add one more cat, whatever it is. Again, being deliberate, I think an annual plan is a great physical manifestation of being deliberate because you're absolutely actually creating a plan and then hopefully holding yourself accountable every month to, am I getting closer? Uh, did I break down those goals? Am I taking the right education course? Am I finding the right opportunities, hiring the right, whatever it is on your path? So I, I get going back to the beginning, I, I wouldn't prescribe a specific path to any partner. I've met so many different personality types that are successful from the soloist. Um, the, the soloist can be a generalist. They can be uh, specific to a vertical. They can be uh, focused on a business size. They can be a larger company. We've seen a lot of scaled organizations. There was one, one scaled organization I love talking to right now because this is a company we've seen for 10 plus years. It's a great white whale that we're trying to you know, convince that look at this business model. It is great. And they finally came around. Their leadership said, we want 50% of our revenue to be coming from this model in, you know, the, the next few years. And they said, do you think that's possible? And I ran the numbers and said, mm, given where your revenue is right now, um, it's going to take more than two years, but here's what we can do. And let's get to that goal and let's get you. Well, they're being deliberate. And what's fun is ha to have recurring conversations with them about what their goals are, what they're achieving, the progress they're making. And so it doesn't matter. They may have, you know, 700 people on staff. But even if you're just one person on staff, you can go through the same motion and be incredibly successful by being deliberate. Love it. Uh, let's talk about decision-making, high-stakes decision-making. So you mentioned it in the beginning, right? We go through some of these. Sometimes it's every other day there's a crisis or a critical situation. When partners go through that too, right? And it feels like right in that moment, oh, my gosh, it's all over. I really can't screw this up. There's a lot of pressure here. What's your advice there on decision-making, high stakes, where you just, you, you don't know everything? You know, um, one thing that's fun about looking back, like I mentioned before, looking back, they look more like speed bumps. You know, when you're starting out, you've got these two emotions. I love talking to brand new partners. They're, I'm in it, I'm doing it, I'm gonna make this happen. But they go through these emotions of euphoria and terror, you know, and, and they can be in the same minute. You know, I'm, there's no limits on me. That, oh, my goodness. How am I going to pay for groceries next week? You know, mm -hmm. and they go through these these uh, cycled emotions. Um, but I think as time goes on and you gain this experience, uh, you start to get a feel for what really is a crisis and what's not a crisis. When we talk about high stakes, there are a lot of things out there that are high stakes, but maybe low probability. I think over time, what happens, you start getting a sense for, OK, what is really, you know, let's hit the panic button. Now, what you find is there aren't many things that are really, hey, hit the panic button. Um, we've got to move. Now, there are some, definitely some big moves and, and, and changes you've got to make. I would say when, uh, when it comes to my decision, what I've learned over time is, number one, I don't panic. Um, I've, I've seen enough, experienced enough, things that I thought were, you know, uh, uh, industry-ending, company-ending, whatever it was, 
that just aren't. There's always recovery time. Well, another comforting thing to me is that even if you make the wrong decision, you can recover. Um, and that helped me a lot because one of the things I suffered from early on was analysis paralysis. Felt like I can't make a mistake, can't do the wrong thing. People are depending on this. I can't get it wrong. And what that caused is a delay. It was more of a delay of a decision rather than making a great decision. And uh, I, I think that the, the way I approach it now is gather as much information as you can um, and then decide, you know, wh where this fits in terms of priorities. Is, is this really critical? Um, and then uh, with that information, can if I've got 70% information, we're in a pretty good place to make a decision. We can make a good decision on 70%. Because, again, leaning back to um, we can undo a bad decision. Uh, and, and so it's okay to go forward. So that's typically what, what I do is rely a lot on experience, try to gather as much information as possible, and with as much information as practically possible, got to make the call. Let's talk about uh, personal growth. So we've talked books, we've talked Rockefeller, we've talked podcasts, we've talked all these things that are out there. What's your, uh, what's your recommendation for partners, right, to help them continue to grow uh, and develop as a leader, any specific resources, or wh where would you where would you push people? Uh, number one, I would say get just get curious. I mean, you got to get curious. At whatever passion it is that drives you, you know, it may be just your fear of losing. I think that's the passion that drives someone when they're starting a business. It may the, be the the desire to win. I just want to beat everybody and be number one. I I think those are decent motivations. I think a more pure motivation is, you know, this more uh, you know generative feeling of I want to learn, I want to grow, I want to produce something, I want to see what's around the corner. And that curiosity, I think, causes more learning and growth. And my advice would be, look, our brains are just lazy. That's just how it is. We've only got a limited amount of, uh, you know, power going through our, our minds. And so it takes shortcuts. You don't think when you tie your shoe, I'd make the tree, I make the hole, the bunny goes around the tree in the hole. You don't think those thoughts anymore like you did when you learned to tie your shoe. You just do it and you don't remember doing it because your brain is constantly taking shortcuts. And that's why it's so hard to innovate and it's so hard to, uh, to, to see new things is because our brain is taking shortcuts. So I think learning is critical. So whatever curiosity takes you to, uh, then I, I think you then, then go down that road because that bombardment of new information is going to create insights. So some of the things that you know I, I like to see our partners do is engage in the learning that we've provided, you know, the things that you've done. Uh, you know, listening to a podcast like this is going to, I mean, geez, the, 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 the insight they get from people around them who have seen different things. The fact that you can get a book for $20 on someone's life, someone's worked for 70 years, and they're going to distill it down in a couple hundred pages and sell it to you for $20? That's incredible. Mm -hmm. I mean, the compression of information there of someone's life, and they're going to hand their life's work to you for $20 is amazing. But if you can consume those things on a regular basis, I, I think it um, it can feel like drudgery to some people. But if you're curious and excited about it, by it, um, which I am, and I know you are, that's why it's so fun to talk to you about these different top podcasts and different concepts. And I think that's what propels us forward is constantly bombarding our lazy minds with new ideas. Yeah, I love it. There's just so much to learn. Uh, and if we can, if we can grasp all the things. I'm a big fan. Uh, early in life, made a lot of mistakes. Didn't listen to anybody later in life. Tried to read a lot, listen a lot, surround myself with good people, and go. Well, it seems to have worked for them, or it seems to work for these guys that built companies for a hundred years. To your point, why would I try to go recreate the wheel? Why not? To your point, there's just so much good advice out there, and read those books and just look for that one or two little things that are going to help you that you're going to walk away with. Yeah, but I think most people go through that cycle. I mean, what you're talking about is, you know, you're 
as you were young, you know, didn't want to hear it. Didn't matter. People could be giving you gold. You know, here's the map. Here's the way. Here's the. It doesn't matter. You're not interested. And so until someone turns on, and does become interested, that's why it's so fun in this partner community to watch people self-select, to watch them raise their hand. You know, and say, hey, I've been listening to your podcast. I've, I've been, you know, talking. I've been trying this new concept. Will you help me on this new pitch I'm working on? To, to see those people step forward and say, I want to grow. I want to develop. Like, th those are the people who are going to take that advice. Those of you who are going to run with it and make something of it. And that's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about industry trends. So there's a lot of trends happening right now. There's a lot of things out there. It seems like there's never a slow in growth of technology. Uh, what are the trends that are out there that you think will, will significantly impact this industry? And then how are we helping pr uh, partners prepare for those? You know, I think we can look at it from, from a product set. We look at it often for products of, hey, we take from telco and network and voice, and now we're into security, and here comes AI around the corner. I think it's bigger than that. Uh, the trend that we're seeing that is bigger than that is that, that distribution is broken. And whenever you see distribution get disrupted, uh, massive change and massive opportunity takes place. So, so t if you look at the internet, uh, you know, that was a huge distribution model that shifted and all of a sudden people went online and that became a distribution model where there was opportunity, there were winners and losers. Same thing happened with mobility. When things went from just a computer to mobile, uh, a distribution shifted as well. And once again, when it went to social, the way people get their news now, the way advertising takes place now, it's done through social. It's not necessarily done through the old news sites or wherever it was before. And the same thing is taking place in technology distribution. You know, when you look at legacy distribution, it's really logistics. And you look at the people selling it and they represented a single brand or two or three. And now what you've got is this proliferation of technology. And so we can, again, we can go back and talk about the products. It's most fun to talk about AI. Let's, so let's talk about that one. Why not? Um, so everyone, you know, just assumes, well, you know, it's just game over. I mean, OpenAI is now with Microsoft and Amazon's got their answer and, you know, Google's got their answer and Salesforce says AI means this and, you know, all, all these interpretations. Well, it's game over. Absolutely not. It's not game over because you've got all these enterprises now. Well, well you've got the substrate there. You've got the platform of what it's going to be built on. You've got the engines, but then you've got all of these products that are going to be developed and going to be innovating. You're going to have a fragmented market out there with a lot of choices to be made and what businesses have that people don't recognize is risk. How I, this, I know this is a cool thing, but how do I put my business at risk? How do I put my career at risk? Making a decision on what's right for my business. So as all these new applications are gonna come, and by the way, pricing's gonna change too. It's no longer gonna be based on seats, it's gonna be based on workload or how much OPEX can I reduce based on using this AI and all these different changes. How do I navigate that? Well. Portal doesn't necessarily get me there because I can't look into their eye and trust and say, hey, you've seen this before. You know how this goes in. Have you seen my situation before? Oh, okay. Yeah, it does look like them. That, that engagement that our advisors have is not replicable, replicable today, nor do I think it will be in our lifetime. And so I think that just like it was in the old, I'm going to take it all the way back to, uh, you know, uh, long distance, the, the competitive telco of long distance rates. The reason it was not searchable is because there were so many new companies popping up. There's mm -hmm. so many different choices. It was fragmented. When there's a fragmented market, when there is risk involved in the decision, people are going to look to an advisor. And that is the greatest trend that I see for our partners, for our industry uh, in propelling us forward. So yeah, AI is the next big thing. You know, before, it, you know, we've already got generative AI. We've got, you know, voice, we've got security, we've got all the, they're all good products we're going to sell. 
But the underlying uh, uh, trend that is taking place is that disruption to distribution. Yeah, great point too. And I think if you look back at um, when, when I talk to people about investing, right? People that are maybe worried about investing is now the right time. When do I hold? Oh, the market's a bear, the market's bull. You look back at some of those charts that are out there that say, here's the statistical percentage that the S&P has returned for the last hundred some years, right? And it's 10, 11, whatever percent. The reality is just, it's always going to perform. And as long as you stay in it, and as long as you're willing to talk about these things and be invested in that market or invested in these products with the customers, they're always going to need help. And it's always going to get harder. And there's always going to be, to your point, a million options and people need help. That's so, right. Great point. All right. Uh, last couple questions on here. Uh, I would love to hear, you know, this is kind of a success and failure conversation. So maybe an experience about um, a perceived failure. Uh, that ultimately led to success or just maybe some really important learning? Uh, you know, the one that stands out in my mind was, uh, you know, 10 years ago, some people still talk about this. 10 years ago, we hired an individual um, in the organization, leadership position, um, absolutely brilliant person. Uh, one of the smartest people I've ever worked with. By the way, uh, the things that he said have come true. Like the things about this industry of how things would shape up, what it will look like were absolutely true because he came from a parallel industry. The challenge was the culture fit. Uh, the culture fit wasn't there. And the damage that caused the organization, the problem is, so failure number one, hiring the letting the person in the door. That's why we do our culture interview. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to make sure the person fits the culture. Um, mistake number two, hanging on for too long. It'll get better. It'll get better. It'll improve. We'll figure it out. We'll teach. We'll buffer. We'll put people around. Um, held on for too long. And what happened was it caused damage, visible damage to the organization. You can still look in our charts. You know, our growth flatlined during that time. And you can see why. You know, culture matters internally to our employees, externally to our suppliers, to our partners. Um, it's felt by all of them. And uh, so I did make the change. Um, and uh, what happened was, I would, I would tell you the reason I view as a positive now is we got religion. I mean, we knew what it gave us was conviction, more conviction that the things we were doing before were right. The things that didn't show up on a spreadsheet, the things that didn't show up uh, in a report, the way in which we behaved were right. And you can see that in the, in the performance. I and mean, it comes in the outcome. It's very hard to put your finger on it and say, oh, I put in two you know, quantities of this and I got five quantities of that. It just doesn't turn out that way. But um, that, that was the learning. That was, the, I would say, the reconviction in, um, in, in our culture and how we go to market, how we show up. And when partners do say, that's the, the, my favorite thing about our brand. When you talk to partners, they say, hey, I, I know they're in it for me. I know they got my best interest in mind. Um, that matters, and that's felt. Love it. All right, uh, final question. So, so let's say um, we look forward 10 years from now, 10 plus years, right? And it, it's been incredible to see what we're building here through your leadership, through the people that we've hired, through the culture, through all these things that we've talked about to enable the partners to be successful. But if you're 10 plus and we're looking back, what is the legacy or what is the, the impact that you want to say, I helped do that on this industry? Or I enabled X, w w you know, w whatever you want to put on it. Well, that's exactly it. I, you know, I hope, I hope the, 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 when my story is written, uh, you know, it is, that he helped grow the industry beyond what it was. Um, because I don't think things just show up by default. I don't think it's pre-written, you know, or it's in the stars. I think we will it to happen. And I think we inherited something great that great people started, and I think we're carrying it forward. And what I would love to look back on is to say, uh, you know what? 
um, he helped grow the industry because it's not what the industry to, is today is not big enough for Tolaris to thrive and do the things we want to do, the scale we want to achieve, bring on the talent we want to nurture the talent we have. Uh, we have to bring in more partners. We have to help our existing partners sell more. We have to convince customers that this is a normative behavior. And that's where I think we win is once a customer, once a CIO says, oh, that'd be malpractice for me to make a decision without talking to my advisor. That's crazy talk. You know, once we get to that state, then we will have arrived. But to get to that, there's still a lot of work to do with suppliers. There's still a lot of partner growth that's got to take place. And if I can take a play a role in that, that's ultimately goodness for Tolaris, but it's goodness for the entire community. What we have to do is expand the industry. We have to make this um, mode of of uh, selling, this, this mode of uh, technology acquisition to be the normative behavior. And that's still, even though we believe it's superior, even though we see it and feel it every day, we have a lot of education to do. And that's what I see my role as doing because Tolaris is gonna thrive in that environment. With the vision we have in that bigger environment, we're, we're going to thrive, but a lot of other people are as well. And that's what I'm set on. Love it, good stuff. That's it, man. I'm questioned out. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on. Appreciate you uh, supporting us, everything that you do to help grow the company, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for being a part of this. Thanks for having me, Josh. Awesome. Okay, everybody, that wraps us up. I'm your host, Josh Lepresto, SVP of Sales Engineering at Tolaris here with Adam Edwards, CEO. This has been Business Blueprints, Lessons from Leaders. Till next time. Next Level BizTech has been a production of Tolaris Studio 19. Please visit Tolaris.com for more information.